Uh, but, you know, to God be praised, um, because God deals with me probably more uh, than anybody, you know, when, and Pastor Johnny, I think you, you understand uh, as we pray and, and prepare through, through all of this. So where I'd like to go today, uh, let, let's, let's dive right in. Uh, as, as the young people were leaving, I think that that was a good sort of reminder for me uh, because it's a good context for what we'll be discussing today in terms of the word. Um, we're going to be looking at a familiar passage. So um, if you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 10. What we need to keep in mind in terms of this context um, concerns young people. Um, if we consider ancient Israel back in the New Testament times and even further back and even up until today, they have always considered children to be a blessing, to be a gift from God. And they've got this notion that the parents actually get honor based on their children in terms of who they grow into and how they contribute to the community. So children are definitely seen as a gift from God and God bestows on children different talents, abilities, different callings. And parents have the responsibility of nurturing and raising those children to manifest and bring forth those things that God has, has instilled in those children. Um, and they take that very seriously. And one of the ways that that shows up often in terms of uh, parents grappling with, you know, how do we actually handle this responsibility? It shows up in how they name their children. And so you'll often find in, in the Bible where People have certain names, and these names have particular meanings, and these names mean what they actually grow into and what they actually accomplish in life. And, and I always imagine, you know, when I had my daughter, uh, I, I did this, you know, we, me and my wife grappled with, what, what are we to name her? And she was a few days old before we actually settled on the name. Uh, some people have the names way before the child is born, uh, but some of us, you know, we're, we're wrestling with God. God who is this individual? Who have you blessed us with? And, and God gives it to you when God gives it to you. Um, and in, in scriptures, it's very similar. Parents wrestle with these things and, and they bestow these names. And I, when I was in a seminary, I, I had these good friends of mine from Africa and they were in seminary and, and they had very interesting names, I thought. Um, and just how those names actually shaped who they would become was always fascinating to me. One of my friend's name was Blessing. Um, and I could imagine, wow, what was it like to be a boy growing up and your name was Blessing? And I'm like, that might not have been so easy every day. And then I met another friend of mine, his name was Sunday. And I'm like, oh, wow, that, that's very interesting. Um, what was that like growing up, given that name Sunday? And, and no matter even if they had to you know, deal with teasing or what have you, because they're unusual names, um, but ultimately what they grow, grew into manifested. Blessing is a pastor today, bringing a blessing. And Sunday, I would imagine his parents named him Sunday because that was a time of worship from their culture. And he's a pastor today. He's back in Malawi, but he's pastoring there. Um, no doubt, worshiping and bringing the blessings there. And it's just so interesting what, what's in a name and, you know, what God can do as Parents wrestle with, you know, this blessing that you've given us and how do we nurture this person to become who we need this person to be. And they would become a blessing, not just to our family, but to the community. And God would bestow these blessings through them. So this reminds me, and it's the setup to where we're going, um, of, a, of a young man. And his parents wrestled with, you know, the name to give him and Ultimately, they settled upon this name. It's a little unusual. His name is Kaz, K-A-Z, Kaz. And if you were to look up Kaz, it's short for Kazimir. It's uh, from a different part of the world. But what it actually means, it means peacemaker or peaceful. And I could imagine his parents, when they came up with this name, um, were envisioning, you know, this young man on the world stage, you know, bringing peace to a world that actually needed peace. We We live in a world where... Peace is in short supply. And, you know, as this young man, as, as a baby, you know, taken good care of and 
ultimately send them off to school. And the first, you know, few days of, of school, first grade, he goes off and he comes home one day and he says, hey, mom, my teacher asked a question. She asked if I have any little brothers or sisters that'll be coming to school because I'm the first. And the mom actually was sort of beaming with pride with this because she's realizing, hey, so quickly into the school year, the teacher's actually recognizing the character of my son so much that she take an interest and, and be interested in having, you know, the little siblings come through and she's anticipating this. And so the mom asked him, it's like, well, what, what did she say, though, when you told her that you're an only child? You don't have any little brothers and sisters yet. So a mom, she, she said, oh, what a relief. <laughs> the mom was dismayed. Because apparently what mom did not know was little Kaz, her peacemaker, was tearing up the school. And by the time the second week had finished, little Kaz had earned a nickname, Little Taz. And if you've ever familiar with Looney Tunes, they have a character, the Tasmanian Devil, and the character of this cartoon character is that wherever he goes, chaos. He brings chaos and destruction. Um, and that's what Little Kaz actually became known for. Um, and I say this as a setup just to say, sometimes we make choices, even as children, but yet we are going to be known by our actions. Even if our namesake, even if the aspirations of the parents and the people around us are one thing, sometimes we make choices and behave in ways that can actually run counter to that. And that can produce a lot of consternation, a lot of disappointment, um, a lot of heartache in families, um, in communities. Um, and I do believe that is a bit of the setup to where we're going in our scripture today. Because what we're going to be looking at is a man who was given a name, and uh, he actually lived in very different ways. We'll be looking at Zacchaeus. And so if you recall the story of Zacchaeus, you probably learned it in Sunday school if you were raised in church. Um, he's somebody who actually ended up, uh, as an adult, being quite hated by everybody around him for reasons of his behavior. But he had an encounter with Jesus in such a way that those seeds that no doubt his parents who, who wrestled with, you know, how do we raise this young man to be a contribution and a blessing to everybody around him? Those seeds that they planted, those were not seeds planted in vain. Even though he walked away and did behaviors very contrary to what they had sown into him. The name of Zacchaeus actually means pure or innocent. Pure or innocent. And imagine pure back in New Testament times in this Jesus day. Pure is what you needed in order to stand before God in the temple and do anything along those lines. Purity is sort of the thing that's needed in order to deal with God from the concept that they had back in the first century. And unfortunately, his behavior and his lifestyle and things that he did were everything opposite to pure. So let's pick up in Luke chapter 19. It's 10 verses, verses 1 through 10, and it reads, He entered Jericho, that's Jesus, and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass by that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man 
came to seek out and to save the lost. Amen. So the title of this, this message today, the title of the message is, With God, All Things Are Possible. With God, All Things Are Possible. So Zacchaeus, if we, if we look at the context of Zacchaeus, these 10 verses in, in the Gospel of Luke tell us just a little bit about this individual. I've given you a bit in terms of the context, in terms of how people are named and why people are named and what those aspirations typically mean for families and communities and, and how when people fail to live up to those expectations, um, what impact that can have, what, what disappointment that can bring. And scripture picks up then with an adult Zacchaeus after he's made certain life choices. And it tells us three things in particular about Zacchaeus that I think are, are important to hold on to. Number one, he was a chief tax collector. Number two, he was rich. And number three, he was short. He was a chief tax collector. He was rich and he was short. If we want to understand why he was so hated, you have to understand his occupation and what it meant to be a tax collector back in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, the tax collectors were the people who actually worked for the enemy. The enemy was Rome, the occupying force that came in and occupied and controlled their kingdom, their lands, and basically started to build things to... Roman deities and orchestrate things in ways that detracted from the lifestyle that God had called people to live. So they had to figure out how do we still maintain the Torah and the law when Rome is dictating how we are to live and how we are to go about things. And one of the things that Rome did was Rome demanded that everybody pay taxes to Rome. And so people had to actually give their resources over, not to the temple, not to their children, not to the community. They had to give their taxes over to Rome and they were extracted out of the land and sent to Rome for, so Rome can build what Rome wanted to build. And often those things were an affront and offense to the ways of life of people who were living in Israel. A tax collector then was somebody often who was themselves of Israel, living in the land, but they had aligned themselves with the enemy, Rome, and were basically taking advantage of their very own people. They saw, the people saw them as traitors. The people saw them um, in a very negative light. And, and it's more than just a traitor. I, I do want us to understand, when, when you extract money from people who aren't rich people, Israel's not a rich country. This is money that could be going to their children. This is money that could be going to the temple to worship God. But instead, it's being siphoned off and given away to Rome. People are missing meals. People are going without. People are having really difficult times. And some people are even coming to financial ruin as a result of the tax collector. And the reason why and what makes it so bad is Rome demands a certain amount of money. But Rome doesn't actually pay the tax collector. The tax collector gets paid from anything that they can make over and above the amount that they've got to send to Rome. So the tax collectors become very, very savvy and very, very unjust in how they deal with people. They can find ways to get more money out of you just so that they can have money in their pocket. So examples of this would be they would tax your business. But they would base that tax on, hey, if you've got a cart that you're using to bring your wares out into the marketplace, we're going to tax you based on the number of wheels on your cart. Not just the cart, not just the business, the number, so four times over, right? So no wonder people out there with wheelbarrows, three. It figured out any way to sort of hold on to a little bit of money. These are the things that tax collectors would come up with, and they would actually become quite wealthy at the expense of their very own people. So these are folks who are not traitors, not just traitors, seen as traitors, but actually quite hated for the ruin that they would bring to people. They would meet pretty regularly with their Roman handlers over lunches and dinners to, to turn over the money and, and talk about business. And in this process, obviously, they were seen as violating the Mosaic law around food. Um, and so they earned the, they earned the, the name sinner often because they were 
eating with Gentiles, the Romans, and they were eating the foods that they were not permitted to eat under the Torah, under the law. They were put in the same category as prostitutes. Prostitutes were termed sinners because they would do business with the Romans. Some of the customers were the Gentiles, and they just had a very, very strict way of understanding how you deal with Gentiles. And we've got tax collectors who are eating with Gentiles, throwing all of the kosher out of the window. We've got prostitutes who are laying with Gentiles for business sake and all the Mosaic laws being disregarded. So they, they earn the name sinner. Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. Somebody who was so good at his job that he was not just over a little region. He was over a band of tax collectors. So he clearly was somebody who, through very savvy and deceitful ways, managed to rise to the top and was quite wealthy. Zacchaeus was loaded. He was very wealthy. And why was this important? The scripture tells us these three things. One, he was a tax collector, chief tax collector. But two, he was wealthy. And it's very interesting because if you look just slightly earlier in, this, in the scriptures here, the disciples who were traveling with Jesus had arrived at Jericho, where Zacchaeus lives. But prior to them being there, they encountered another person, a young man who happened to be quite wealthy. Remember the rich young ruler? This was right as they set out on the way to Jericho. And this young man comes, and he's wealthy, and he engages Jesus, and he asks Jesus, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he and Jesus have this conversation, and Jesus ultimately tells him, hey, there's something that you do lack, because the young man put forth, hey, I follow the commandments, I've done this my whole life, and is there anything else that I need? And Jesus says, yes, one more thing, take all that you have, sell it, Give the money to the poor. Come and follow me. The young man couldn't do it. He went away very sad. Very sad. It was a very difficult thing for him to do. The crowd and the disciples seeing this heard something that Jesus actually said to them. Jesus said, wow, this is really tough. And what scripture records is, wow, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, all in the crowd, and, and, and Jesus and, and the disciples who heard this, understand what it meant to be rich in those days. Who did they know as rich people in Jesus' day? The rich people were typically the Sadducees. And who the Sadducees were, these were the priests. These were the people who controlled the temple, and they actually became a bit of a noble class. They had a lot of resources. But they were the priests, and they controlled the temple. And in order to do business in the temple, what did you have to be? You had to actually make sure that you were pure and followed the rituals. And so they viewed rich people as people who had certain attributes, like they were sanctified. They were people who were closer to God, people who were more holy. And that's what they understood about wealthy people. And so it's very interesting then when God says, Jesus actually says, well, it's going to be very difficult for rich people to actually get into the kingdom of God. And everybody responds with this consternation, well, well if, if the sanctified people can't even get in, if that's difficult, what hope do the rest of us actually have? They actually said, who then can be saved? And it was actually coming from a place of really disheartenment. They were really losing hope. Well, what about us? We're poor. We don't even approach the Sadducees. Who can be saved? So the disciples and the crowd, upon hearing and witnessing this, probably had a bit of a heavy heart, and they needed a little bit of hope. And Jesus actually told them, yeah, it's really, really difficult. I know it might be really impossible in terms of what you might think, be thinking in terms of who might be saved, but just know this. With humans, with mortals, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. And so they're, they're holding on to this in terms of what that might mean, but still carrying this, this, you know, well, how can we possibly be saved? We don't even approach these folks. And along comes another rich man, and that is Lazarus. 
but they're also understanding that, okay, what Jesus just said is really difficult for the rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. So this is probably going to be the same. And on top of that, Lazarus does not bring any merits in any sanctification or holiness. He brings the opposite. So in the eyes of the crowd and the disciples, if they're already sort of worried about who can get into heaven, this person is a dead ringer for who is impossible to get into heaven. It's almost a setup for a strikeout. And God uses this very situation in order to actually show with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. The third thing that we know about Zacchaeus, and this is what we hear about in Sunday school often, is that he was short. And we may wonder why in the world would scripture give us that piece of information. So, I don't know. But I do know that God actually uses it. The way that the way that this story lands for me and the way that the account really sort of spoke to me was, you know, here here's an individual who has made certain life choices that have disappointed everybody around him. They hate him for a good reason. He has scammed them. He has actually brought them financial ruin. They look down on him, literally, because he's short, figuratively, because they don't respect anything that he does. So you've got it both literal and figuratively, somebody who actually goes around each and every day and people look down upon him. So I think that short stature um, is just sort of the personification of people's opinion of him was this is a low individual. Now, there are some things that could come along with being much shorter than the people around you back in that day, just like it could be today. And, and I don't know this to be the case, but I do imagine, you know, you know, some people, you know, when they feel less than, when they feel like they have fallen short in comparison to the people around them, they get really motivated to, to be the big man or to do whatever they need to do in order to compensate for the ways that they feel less than the people around them. And I don't know if this is necessarily why Zacchaeus chose the lifestyle that he chose, but he made a choice to become a wealthy person. And he did it at, by any means necessary. Sometimes in our lives, we may have ways that we can relate to this with Zacchaeus. I do think, you know, we all have areas where we feel when we don't measure up to other people around us, or maybe we fall short for our own expectations or those parents that have raised us. And, and those are places of pain. And sometimes those places of pain can actually be sources of motivation to compensate in ways that are not so helpful. Some of us feel very less than, and so we might... Uh, put forward and drop a lot of names of the great famous people who we know and who we work with. And every time we do that, we're covering up the fact that we feel like we are nothing. We've got to lead with, well, I'm around all these other great people. But when you hear stuff like that, we, we can see through that and understand that, wow, that's, that probably means you feel very small inside. You feel very short in comparison to everybody else. Some people lead from a place of what we call in, in therapy world narcissism. Narcissism, when you really feel small internally and you've got to pump yourself up and exaggerate things on the outside and everybody can see it but you. Everybody can see it but you. And it's really hard to, to convince these individuals to, to somehow be okay with themselves, to do things differently. They're, they're saying, I don't know if you know what, what a fool believes, he sees, and no wise man has the power to reason it away. That's not scripture. That's the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> but, it, but it rings true. It rings true. And we see these things play out all of the time. So Zacchaeus was loaded, but he was loathed. He was looked down upon literally and figuratively. But yet through all of that, somewhere along the way, Somebody had sown something into him that got stirred when he heard that Jesus was coming by. I don't know if it was his parents who always tried to put him on the path of purity, given his name, live into your name, young man. I don't know if it was the grandparents who continued to pray for him, even probably when he didn't realize that the prayers were going up. 
as he was making these decisions to do the very things that would disappoint everybody, he had people praying for him. Who knows what it would be? But when he heard that Jesus was coming by, he had heard some things about Jesus. There's something internal that still was there, even if it was buried behind a lot of crud. And he sought Jesus. I imagine he probably did hear some things about Jesus. One of the things that Jesus had been talking about that started to get around was some of the sermons that Jesus would, would preach. And uh, if, if you've ever wanted to spend some time chewing on some really good stuff that's just a lot of meaty things that you can chew on for years and years and years, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the Blessed, the Blesseds. And I would imagine that perhaps Zacchaeus had heard Wow, Jesus gave this sermon, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what must somebody who's very wealthy be thinking when he is blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and if there's any wrestlings that he ever has on, on sort of those lonely moments in terms of the choices he's made versus the, the what was instilled in him, it might come forward as he sort of grapples with things like that. But you continue to read through the Beatitudes, and you get to Matthew 5, verse 8. And Matthew 5, verse 8 is another blessed. And it is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And what does Zacchaeus' name mean? Pure. And what is Zacchaeus trying to do? He's trying to see Jesus. And I do suspect that there's these inner wrestlings that are going on with him that might be driving some of this. So at first, he was probably driven by trying to compensate for being short and being looked down upon. But, but parents and, and somebody has sort of put some seeds in there, and, and now it's driving something very different. It's driving him to actually encounter Jesus. But the problem was he couldn't see Jesus. The problem was, even though his name meant pure, and we hold on to that scripture, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, his actions prevented him from seeing Jesus. And a lot of times we think, well, it was because he was short. Well, if he was short and wanted to see Jesus, but still had good relationships with people, they'd make room for him and he could see Jesus. He just needed a front seat. That's all he really needed. Nobody would let him see Jesus because they hated him. They blocked him out. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've been around people who don't like you, and then, and this is usually in school, um, you find yourself amongst a crowd of people who just decide to be mean to you that day, and you know you think you're trying to pay attention, and you get an elbow, you get a knee, you get a finger in the ear. You know this is the stuff that you know immature people do, but this is the stuff that hurt people actually do. And part of me and part of us, I think, can sometimes identify with the crowd in this case, who actually are quite upset with Zacchaeus because he has actually brought them ruin. He actually has caused them harm. And yet here he is in the midst as though everything is fine. And he's not just in the midst as though everything is fine. Keep in mind, if you were there, what you would see are poor people, clearly poor, dressed as poor people, barely enough. And here's Zacchaeus, and he doesn't look poor. He's wearing the finest clothes. He's wearing the best shoes. He's smelling like perfume. Don't you think that would get to people, especially when you know where this wealth comes from? Because you've taken it from me. That's how visceral this is. And so they block him. But Zacchaeus is still driven to see Jesus somehow. And so he does a couple things. He runs ahead, and he climbs a tree. Because Jesus is going to be passing by that way soon. He runs ahead and climbs a tree. When is the last time any of us has actually run for something that we actually wanted? Now, I know some of us have to run because we've had health issues and now we're trying to, you know, prolong our lives, right? But when's the last time you've actually ran for something that you actually just really wanted? How far back do you have to go? And let me add this to it. There's another story right before Zacchaeus where there's Jesus healing a blind beggar. And the beggar is actually seeking Jesus also. And what the beggar uses to actually encounter Jesus is he, he can't run, he can't see. 
he lifts his voice and he cries out. He shouts to Jesus. Jesus, David, son of son of David, have mercy on him. And the people around him trying to quiet him down, but he just shouts all the more because he wants Jesus to come by. And I think, okay, well, when's the last time that, that not only have we ran for something that we wanted, but we've shouted out for something that we wanted, where we really called out for something that we wanted. And every time I think about that for myself, I've got to go way back in time to when I was a kid. Anybody remember, if I say the good humor man, do you know what I mean? The good humor man? Do some of you know that the lotus man? The ice cream man? Okay. When I was a kid, we had the ice cream man. Some of us in my neighborhood now, we have the Elotus man, the, the guy who brings the, the corn and the chips on the, on the cart. But they always show up, and they've got the bell and the music playing, right? And that, that calls the kids. And when you're out playing as a kid, and you hear the ice cream truck or the good humor man, which that's an ice cream, or, or the Elotus man who sells the, the, the goodies, and they come down, and they're ringing the bell, and they're playing the music. You as a kid can be in the middle of a game playing, and you will stop what you're doing, ice cream man and you will run now the first place you run to is not to the ice cream man the first place you run because it costs money right and you don't have money as a kid but who does mama maybe and me sometimes mama had money sometimes mama didn't but you run home right and you run as fast as you can because you don't want to miss the ice cream and while you're running home if mom happens to be there or somebody's there with money you, you, you run in the door, you open the door, and you're not quiet. Mama! You cry out. Can I have some money to... That's what kids do. They run for what they want, they cry out. Mom can be in the middle of talking to somebody, right? But the kid wants what they want, right? And so the kid's going to cry out. And, and you get the little money, and then you got to run to the ice cream man. you got to run to the, to the locust man. That's kid stuff. Climb a tree, that's kid stuff. The last time any of us done any of this, probably we were eight or nine or 10 years old. And I think it's just so interesting that in scripture, when we look in places like Matthew chapter 18 and, and the disciples are having this interesting argument that is just so frustrating to Jesus, where they're, they're arguing over who, who's gonna be the greatest in heaven. And, and Jesus gets wind of this and, and he, Goes over to them and he calls a child over to them. Hey, kid, come here. And immediately the child comes over. And Jesus sits the child in the midst of them and says, you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you want to be great in the kingdom, you must be changed to be like a child. <laughs> and children have humility, but children come when you call them. Children respond. That child responded to Jesus. That child did not wait. And, and I think this is just something very interesting to chew on because when Jesus comes to that tree where Zacchaeus is, Jesus looks up, sees Zacchaeus, tells him, hey, hurry up, come here, come down, I'm coming to your house. And immediately Zacchaeus hurries down and is standing before Jesus and takes him to his house, immediately. The rich young ruler, there was no immediacy in response to what Jesus is asking him to do. As a matter of fact, he struggles with it, and then he goes away and doesn't do it. The blind beggar, when Jesus says, you know what, I hear him, bring him to me. If you look in certain scriptures, it reads, and the blind beggar got up immediately and even left his cloak and came to Jesus. His cloak, the very thing that he's spread out before him in order to collect money, people put the money on. He throws it aside. He responds immediately to Jesus. And I think there is something in that lesson for all of us in terms of what God is really wanting to get us to a point of in order to truly be used and become a vessel for him. So God calls Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus responds right away. And in the right away, I think there's something that is very interesting that, that God is actually doing here. So Jesus is doing exactly what Zacchaeus needs. It, it, imagine this. Zacchaeus is looked down upon by everybody for years. Jesus comes to this tree and he looks up. This is not something that Zacchaeus is accustomed to. 
being looked up to. Jesus says something that, that seems like it's honoring him. Hey, I'm a respected rabbi with my group, and we are coming to your house. You will host us. That's an honor. Zacchaeus does not get honors from those around him. Zacchaeus does not get looked up to. But that's the very thing that Zacchaeus probably, that's the very itch that he probably needs. And, and God and Jesus knows how to fish with the right bait. I, I, I just, I wrestle with this, with this because I see how when, when parents are obedient and so into their kids, their kids are still going to make their decisions. Those decisions might be decisions that bring grief and disappointment, but you've sown something into that child based on what God has given you to do. And maybe you've sown some things that might not be so wonderful because, hey, none of us are perfect, but you, you try to sow in good things. And those good things are not in vain because Jesus will come along through somebody who can give just the right word in due season. And whatever that seed is that's buried way deep down in there starts to stir and it starts to germinate. And, and this is when, when Jesus talked to Peter and Andrew and James and John when they left their, their boats in their occupation as fishermen, he says, come with me. I'll show you how to be fishers of men. I'll make you fishers of men and successful ones at that. And this is Jesus fulfilling a promise because Jesus is fishing with some pretty good bait. And the disciples are seeing it. The disciples who thought this was absolutely a strikeout, there's no way that this guy is going to ever receive the kingdom or salvation because he's rich and Jesus just put a strike there. Because he truly has no merit. He's a tax collector. He's a sinner. And However, God has arranged this thing. There is something happening with this very person who everybody would think there is no hope for. With God, all things are possible. And God has used parents, and God has used people who have been praying, and God has taken all of that and bringing that front and center for his glory. One of the things that is always difficult. I think, is when I actually am grappling with and reading about the crowd's reaction. Because this should be something that is joyous. But the crowd is not actually responding. The crowd responds with grumbling. The crowd hates Zacchaeus. The crowd has not forgotten. I'm wearing bare feet in with, with socks with holes in it because this guy in his finery has taken all my money. The crowd hates him. And they're so willing to hate Zacchaeus and continue that on, that they're willing to throw Jesus under the bus for actually inviting Zacchaeus, uh, aligning with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus himself, I do believe, could have actually doubted what was going on and, and Jesus called to him. Because make no mistake about it, this was a call from Jesus. This was a call from God. Come down. Salvation needs to come to your house and your household. You are the person to bring that's a calling. You are going to be dealing with God in the flesh based not on the decisions that you've made that are shameful, but based on how God sees you and has made you to be, which is the name Zacchaeus, which means purity. Everything that you need in order to actually then engage with God, God is going to make sure it's there. God is doing all of this. And Zacchaeus has another opportunity at this point to live into the call and all that's sown into him. Time in the hands of God, nothing's impossible and nothing's too late. Zacchaeus still could have doubted all of this, which I will bring out one thing that about this passage that I think is, is it, it sticks with me. I believe that God had to get Zacchaeus in a tree, particularly this tree, to give Zacchaeus something to meditate on if Zacchaeus ever doubted his calling and, and the words and, and the way that Jesus was actually trying to invite him into a relationship. Because trust me, the people around him would definitely down him. Zacchaeus climbed a sycamore tree. And for those of you who, who you know, this is one of those inside writing things. Zac Zacchaeus was short. Anybody ever see a redwood tree? Anyone ever? Redwood trees are huge. Right? That's not a sycamore tree. Sycamore trees are, are, are 
great trees. But I went to the Redwood Forest once and I'm like, if I ever thought that I wanted to climb a tree, there'd be no way I could climb that tree. The branches don't start until 20, 30 feet up. And, and it's too big around in order to sort of shimmy me up. How does a short person do that? A sycamore tree, all their branches run along the ground. Even a small child can step onto the big branches and start to climb a sycamore tree. If you lived in this part of the world and seen sycamore trees in the Middle East, you would know, oh yeah, he, this is the only tree he could climb. And that's the tree he was in. But there's something very interesting about the sycamore tree as well, because Zacchaeus is a very unusual vessel to be used by God in this way. And the people are definitely letting him know that you are not the type of God we want actually to, to follow and say anything to us. And if Zacchaeus ever wrestles with that, Zacchaeus has to think back, okay, what do we know in the scriptures? What do we know about the Old Testament? We know something about these sycamore trees. There was a prophet named Amos. And if you look in Amos chapter 7, verse 14, the prophet Amos was a very unusual prophet. He didn't come through the school of prophets. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't come from any sort of a credible line of people who would say, yeah, this is God's person. This is God's man. Listen to him. Amos was used by God to speak a word to Israel that was living in injustice, hopefully that they would turn. But Amos, rather than being a prophet by occupation, he was a sycamore tree tender. He was a shepherd and he tended sycamore figs. And what it meant to tend sycamore figs was he had to get up in the tree, cut the fruit in such a way and leave it on the tree so that the sun would hit it and ferment the fruit so that when it eventually fell, it would be edible. It was not the best fruit, but that's what sycamore tenders did because poor people ate these figs. And God called him out from that occupation, out of the sycamore tree. And he became the vessel, a very unusual vessel, but a vessel nonetheless to speak justice to a community and a country that was living in grave injustice. Zacchaeus was the last person you would think because he represented the injustice, but the power of God is so great that he would actually cause that person to be transformed and live into his namesake and possess everything he needs to possess based on what God has given him in order to bring that word to his household who received that salvation. And then scripture later on, we don't know what became of Zacchaeus, but ultimately in church history, they say, oh, he became the bishop of this or the bishop of that. We don't know, but I would imagine this. He didn't have to not become, he didn't have to leave his profession. John the Baptist baptized tax collectors and they didn't leave their profession. What John the Baptist told them was, don't extract more than you need to extract from people. We're living under these systems. Collect the money you need to collect, but don't cheat and defraud people. Don't get rich off the backs of the people around you. Zacchaeus could have remained a tax collector, but a changed tax collector who no longer defrauded. A changed tax collector who by virtue of evidence of the salvation and the change, he is selling what he's got, giving half away to the poor, and anyone who he's defrauded, he's giving back four times over. And if you want a really interesting sort of Bible read, if you've defrauded somebody and you realize, oh, wait, I made a mistake there, you give it back to them plus 20%. If you defrauded somebody and ultimately you just feel so guilty about it, okay, I'm, I'm caught, let me give it to them. You got to give them two times over. But if you've defrauded somebody and you brought ruin to them, you've got to give them four times over. That's the Torah. So Zacchaeus is not being generous by saying I'm giving four times over. Zacchaeus is just admitting to I have brought ruin to the people around me. And anybody who I brought ruin to, I will give four times over because that's in accordance with the Torah. He could stay a tax collector. But he's making amends. He's paying back. He's actually putting into practice the, the, the morality and the purity that God would actually have. And before you think that he would live happily ever after in a bed of roses, imagine what it's like when you are a chief tax collector and who you have working underneath you are a bunch of people who are about money. And now you are getting in the way of them making money because you refuse to skim off the top. 
there's a saying that I've learned over the years, which is if you want to actually provoke a fight with somebody, mess with their kids. You understand what that means? If you want to actually provoke somebody to murder you, mess with their money. Zacchaeus is messing with people's money. I do not believe that if he stayed a tax collector, that life was a bed of roses. But I do believe God puts people as lights in the darkest places to represent him. And God doesn't promise us that it's going to be easy. But God promises us that the light will never be overcome by the darkness. God has us where God has us. God has brought us through what God has brought us through for reasons because God speaking through us, there's this voice that probably can only reach this particular group of people. Because nobody else is going to talk to a group of tax collectors. Where are they going to get the word of God from? Zacchaeus. It's the only person who's going to be willing to even do that. So now we've got the word of God reaching a hard-to-reach group of people who actually need the word of God. Not more than anybody else, just as much as anybody else. All ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all have fallen short and need that grace from God. In closing, though, while we all need salvation, while that ground at the foot of the cross is level, how we get to that level ground does depend on what we've experienced. Zacchaeus was hated. Jesus actually esteemed him, looked up to him, invited him into something that was honorable. To get him to the level ground of the cross where Zacchaeus then could respond. Some of us, like the rich young ruler, the world tells are wonderful and magnificent. They, they just get puffed up. And Jesus has to bring them down in order to get to the level ground of the cross. And that's very difficult for some people to do. When, when, when you hear each Sunday, part of the prayer before the message, um, something that, that, that's really consistent is you, you'll hear myself, you'll hear Pastor Johnny pray about, hey, you know, if there's anything in us, uh, God, make, make it less. Sit, sit that down. You come forward, right? Just anything that would get in the way, God, you take that away and you come forward. And you know who that prayer applies to? Most guys. Most guys. Because the world is telling us we're wonderful all the time. <laughs> and so in our flesh, we can get up here and want to lead with our flesh because, you know what? I know how to do this and I know how to do that. And that, that's pride. And, and God's got to bring us down to be where we need to be and God will use us. But there's some people who the world gives the opposite message to and they're beat down continually, and they're told they're worth nothing, and they're told that they can never do anything. And God has, God's not going to say, you need more of that. God's going to actually build you up. God's going to look up like God looked up to Zacchaeus and engage you in a way that actually brings you up so that you can be on level ground. And so when we talk about, you know, who God will use, I, I like this analogy of, you know what, God's trying to grow and water people. And sometimes he's got this watering can that he uses and sometimes you're that watering can vessel but every now and then you'll get a Zacchaeus every now and then you'll get an Amos where the Amos is not the watering can the Zacchaeus is not the watering can the Zacchaeus and the Amos they're the garden hose because how are you going to get the hard to reach branches up top with the water you can't get it with the watering can you got to get it with the garden hose and so when God uses you and calls you to be his vessel be the garden hose, 100%. Don't be the watering can. Don't diminish yourself. Come forward 100% in terms of who God has made you to be, which is fearfully and wonderfully made. And God put these talents and these abilities in you from day one, which the parents are actually trying to bring, bring to fruition. And, and God will use that if you turn it over to him. If God is wrestling with you about anything in terms of how you are to come forward as his vessel in any new way, because I do believe we're never done. Time just gives us another day for God to show up and use us in a way that will stretch us again, and we've got to depend on him. I pray that we've got the faith to stretch out in new ways. If, if we need to be the garden hose, be the garden hose. Come forward with that. Get in touch with what has God instilled in you through the years. Understand that some people have been praying for you, probably before you were even born. They're called grandparents. 
that's not in vain. And if you've got young people or people who are important to you and they seem like they've gone a different path and they're bringing grief, keep praying. God is not done. As long as there's breath in their bodies, God can do the impossible. With God, all things are possible. So with that, let us tear this into our week. And if you want to just continue to sort of unpack this, I would say, take a look at the rich young ruler. Take a look at blind Bartimaeus, the two people who also were seeking Jesus up to Zacchaeus. In the book of Luke, there's three of them. They're all seeking Jesus. Jesus asked something of everybody. Can we respond in faith? That is on us. Mm -hmm. Can we stretch out and do the hard thing that is on us? And and I, I forget which Sunday it was where Pastor Johnny was preaching about how do we get to the point, or at least this is how I was taking it in, how do we get to the point where we can actually do some of the hard things that, that Jesus is actually, you know, trying to get us to do? Some sometimes Jesus is trying to get us into deeper waters and you know that can be scary. How do how do we do that? Well, you know what? You take the steps, the little baby steps in the shallow water, right? These little things that are the disciplines, that are the things that, you know, the, the rich run ruler said that he did all the time, you know, obey his mom and dad and, you know, don't steal and don't kill. He's done that since his youth. Well, if you really have done that since your youth, then when it comes to Jesus making this ask, you might actually have the muscles to do it. So something's off. So if we're faithful in the little things, we'll be able to meet the growth and the blessing that Jesus actually has for us as we mature. God is never done with us. So with that, let us pray and close out. Father God, we thank you once again, Lord, that you're never done with us, Lord. We thank you once again, Lord, that with you all things are possible. Father God, that the things that you have sown in us, Lord, that we may be unaware of, Lord, that you are faithful to bring it to life, to fan into flames, even those smoldering embers, Lord, that long ago were there, but maybe we've gone a separate way. That long ago were there, but maybe out of our shortcomings, Lord, we've tried to cover those areas over. We've tried to compensate in other ways that are not so helpful, Lord. Lord, continue to be fishers of us, Lord, with the very bait that we need, Lord, that would lure us into the deeper waters, Lord, with you. Knowing that with you, God, there is blessing. Knowing, God, that with your presence, Lord, all is okay and all is well. Even in the midst of a world that is dark, Lord, you are the light. You are the way. You are the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.